Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Harvest Fellowship. I hope and pray that you're all doing well. We have a new thing I want to announce. It is our billboard outreach, where we have uh, some billboards on division right now. They're already up, and they are advertising what really matters in life. And then it gives our website. They're going to be going to our website. I will be doing a four-week series on what really matters in life, starting May 10th. And so, but before that, there's actually a video on the website, first thing you see, that is a two-minute video. It's geared towards younger people, so be prepared for that. But a two-minute video that is meant to keep the intrigue, to keep people saying, okay, I want to see this series. And I want to encourage you, take that video Put it on Facebook. Put it on all forms of social media. Invite as many people as possible to this series coming up. It's going to be straight from the, the Gospel of Mark as I'm going through, but uh, really looking forward to that, okay? So, let's pray. Well, Father, we praise you. You are sovereign over the universe. You are in complete control, and we can trust in you. We do, we choose to lean on you, to trust in you, and to declare that you are a trustworthy God. That no matter what our circumstances, we know you have us in your hand, you have our best interest in mind, and so we are crying out to you today. Oh God, be glorified in our lives. Strengthen us, fill us with faith. Bless us, Lord, keep us safe. And now we ask that you would teach us from your word. We see this passage of scripture with Jesus walking on the water. Oh, we want to walk on the water, Lord. So teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56, where Jesus walks on the water. So I thought a water joke. Why do fish live in salt water? Because pepper makes them sneeze. All right. But seriously, have you ever thought about walking on water? Let's watch a video to see what it could be like today. Now, Jesus didn't need a water ski or water board or anything like that. But I love that song. I wanted to read some of the lyrics from that song by Lecrae. Listen to these lyrics. He says, Yeah, go ahead, ask me how I do it, bro. The sky falling, but I'm still flying through and through. Hey, this ain't willpower, it's wheel power. With God at the wheel, now that's some real power. I feel power, so I'm going to trust that. That's how I persevere. That's how I jump back. Yeah, the hurricanes never go away, so I'm going to stand firm till tell them I don't blow away. That's great. That's awesome. Listen to the second verse. I know it's all good when it's all bad. There's something working in me. Hey, what you call that? Some call it perseverance. Some people say endurance, but I know for sure it, it's got me so secure. 
Yeah, I got faith. That's why I hold on, because I'm an alien. I'm about to phone home. I'll be long gone. See you hard times. Hello, joy, love, peace, and a sound mind. <laughs> One last part of a portion of verse 3. He says, I've got the hope, boy. I'm the middleman. Let me show you my supplier. Yeah, you need to know him, Christ. He got me walking on the water when the wind's blowing and when the storm's brewing and when the tide's high. That's when I lean into the truth that I abide by. And uh, in these tough times, we don't just survive. We really can thrive. We can even walk on the water. In these times, God is calling us to take off the training wheels, to uh, crawl out of fear, and to trust him and walk on the water. But first, we want to see how Jesus did it, okay? So let's look at Jesus and our passage, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to whatever they heard to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. What can we learn from this pericope, from this section of Scripture? Well, first of all, we see in verses 45 through 47, that Jesus sets up his disciples for faith. He sets them up. He wants to increase our faith. Uh, and, but how does he do it? And so we see here, he sets them up. He actually sends them into danger. Did you see that? He sent them into danger, knowing what was going to happen. Let me read from Daniel Aiken's commentary. He says, Jesus takes control in this politically charged situation makes the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. Thus the disciples are exactly where Jesus wants them to be. Spurgeon said their sailing was not merely under his sanction but by his express command. They were in the right place and yet they met with a terrible storm. Jesus purposely sent them into trouble. He set him up, sent him into danger. I think of how God sent Jim Elliott and four of his friends, four other missionaries to the Wadoni tribe in Ecuador. 
where they were all killed. And their wives were heartbroken and their kids would never see their dads again. And probably the questions were, why? Did they hear God right? What's going on here? But the wives went back to the Wadoni tribe. Just as much fear, just as much danger. And they led that entire tribe to Jesus Christ. And if you were to ask Jim Elliott and those other missionaries, was it worth it? They would have said, oh yeah, absolutely. This is how God wins battles. He sends us into danger and walks with us through it. Another missionary, A.W. Milne, Missionary to the cannibals, let me read his story. In the 19th century, Milne joined a group of men known as one-way missionaries. Milne embarked on the mission but didn't take a suitcase. He packed all his worldly belongings in a coffin. Milne and the other one-way missionaries bought one-way tickets to their destinations, but no return ticket. They fully expected to spend the rest of their lives on mission and die on the mission field. Milne spent decades loving on cannibals in a tribe in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. He journeyed to their village knowing the cannibals had murdered every other missionary who went there. When Milne died, the cannibals buried Milne in his coffin in the middle of their village. On his grave, the cannibals wrote this epitaph. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Hmm. Jesus sends him into danger. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we do know God will use it for his glory. But not only does he send them into danger, he prays for them. Did you see that? It says... Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. He spent that night in prayer and I guarantee you he was praying for his disciples. He prayed for them. You see, When God sends you and he prays for you, you will accomplish what he calls and nothing can happen to you until it's done, until he is finished. Life is war. That's what we see in the scriptures. And prayer is our most powerful weapon. And according to the scriptures, Jesus is praying for us. We have a great example of that in John 17. We have this express statements in Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8.34 that he is interceding for the saints, for us. He prays for us. And with this, with God sending us, and with Jesus praying for us, that's how we can walk on water. So we see that Jesus sets up his disciples for faith. 
And then in verses 48 through 50, we see that Jesus wants them to see his glory. That's what's going on here. He wants them to see his glory. You see, when we see a glimpse of his glory, we are satisfied. There is nothing more beautiful, wondrous, mysterious, awesome, breathtaking, where we're shaken in our boots and filled with expectancy than when we get a glimpse of the glory of God. And that's what he wants them to see, to see a glimpse of his glory. In fact, if you notice, look at our passage 48. It says, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. Jesus passed by. And you think, at first you think, what? He's going to just walk right past them? That's how we would understand this in our 21st century understanding. But the ancient Hebrews knew exactly what this passage meant. Look at Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 through 23. In Exodus, we see Moses asking to see God's glory. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. And he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go, with, go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. What a prayer. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Then the Lord said, here's a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by... I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face you will not see. Now we can say, what, what's going on there exactly? It's mystery. But he's speaking about how he allowed Moses to see a glimpse of his glory. And notice he says, when my glory, when my glory passes by. That's what's happening here. The glory of Jesus Christ. He sought he wanted to pass by them. Another passage they would have been very familiar with, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence before the Lord. At that moment, the Lord passed by. See it? A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Did you see that? The Lord passed by. You see, what we're seeing here is that Jesus wants him to see his glory. He passes by, and then they're terrified. They think he's a ghost. But here we see Jesus' words of comfort. His response to their terrifying, I can't imagine what it must have been for them, but it says, immediately spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Those are his words of comfort. These are the words we need to hear in this time of pandemic to lift us up, to help us not respond by being terrified. First of all, have courage. Have courage. Tharseo means to be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances. That's what he's calling us to. This is the same uh, word that we, we see in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua is about to lead the people into the promised land and to take the promised land. And probably he was contemplating what's going on. Now, Joshua, he had already had incredible experiences revealing that he could trust God. And he heard this in stereo. Moses had already told him. We see in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Prior to that, it says, I will not leave you or abandon you. But look at Joshua 1, verse 9. He says, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was what Moses prayed. Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Here, he says, the Lord will be with you. God's promise to us, he will never leave us or abandon us. He will go with us as he sends us out. And so have courage. And then secondly, he says, it is I. It is I. He'll be with them. He's there. It's Jesus. But what's fascinating about this passage, in the Greek, it's ego eimi. And this is the same phrase that's used with Moses when Moses asks God, who shall I say sent us if they ask us your name? And he says, I am, ego me, has sent you. That's what he's saying here. We know this very ex- explicitly in John chapter 8, verse 58. Look at that passage. The Gospel of John uses this phrase over and over because it's revealing who Jesus is. He says, ego me, he is the shepherd, he is the light, he is uh, these different things. And then in John 8, Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego me. Same phrase, same exact phrase as it is I in our passage in Mark. I am. Now, 
in this passage, it's very clear. The Jews were asking him, verse 57, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? He says, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that might sound like bad English. Before Abraham was, shouldn't it be I was? Absolutely. In fact, it's bad Greek, too. (laughs) He's purposely using bad Greek because he wants them to hear the clear statement. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. And that's why they picked up stones to throw at him. They, They thought he was committing blasphemy, but he wasn't. And here we see that. Yahweh, God himself, is with you. If you know him personally as your Lord and Savior, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ and him alone for your salvation, you're trusting that Jesus died and paid the penalty you were supposed to pay. You've surrendered to him as your Lord. You've outwardly expressed that in baptism. If if you're a true believer, these are the promises to you just as they are the promises to these original disciples. Have courage. It is I. And then finally, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Once again, the early Hebrews, when they heard that, they would have been reminded of Isaiah 43, a favorite passage of the Jewish people. Isaiah 43, 1 through 7, it says, Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. You're saved. You're redeemed. Do not fear. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the fire, when you pass through the plague the pandemic. That's his promise. And that's why Jesus is reminding them of that when he says, do not be afraid. You see, God is sovereign over the universe. He's in complete control. The entire universe is held in his hand. And at any moment, he could simply just go and it'd be gone. That's how much in control he is of the pandemic and everything else. He always takes care of his people. When I was preparing this message, I don't know why I thought of this, but I, was rem- I remembered this uh, time when I was in seminary. Last year, seminary, my wife and I, we lived in uh, the apartment complex of the, of the seminary, and there was this dumpster where we take our garbage, and these kittens, little kittens, 
lived there, okay? I called them the garbage kitties. The garbage kitties, because they were so, they were mysterious to me. It's like, where did they come from? Where did they go? But one thing I knew, they were taken care of. <laughs> the garbage kitties. And it reminded me of God and his sovereignty. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. But it does mean that he will bring good from the bad and see us through the storm. He'll bring good from the bad. Corey Tenboom, amazing woman of God. She was arrested. And she was, uh, this was in uh, Nazi Germany, thrown in the concentration camps. Brutally uh, treated. Tragically, they were starved. They lived in these uh, inf uh, lice-infested places, and, and, and especially uh, the thing she hated the worst were the fleas. She spoke of these fleas, and she just, just, it was just so horrible to have to live with these things. But then, in their bunks, they had a Bible that they had snuck in, and they were able to read the Bible, and she she began to draw close to Jesus. She loved Jesus, and, and, and she was sharing with others about Jesus. And, and, but the fear of losing that Bible, if the, if the soldiers had found it, they didn't have the fear at all because no one would go in there because of the fleas. And so they were safe. God will turn the bad into good. Fear is not of God. Fear reveals a lack of faith. So how do we increase our faith in times like a pandemic? We draw near to God and receive his love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, so the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. He loved us, and now we love him back, and we receive his love, and that love, as it grows, casts out the fear. So it's all about the relationship. We draw near to him, and the fear dissipates. Now, finally, we see what is our response. Verses 51 through 56, we see described three different responses. He starts out, he says, Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded. So the first response is the disciples were astounded. <laughs> and this is good, okay? This is good to be wowed by God, to be amazed, to be, when you see his glory, you're like, whoa, okay? That's the initial response that we're seeing with the disciples. Throughout, especially the Gospel of Luke, interestingly, we see this, this uh, occurrence over and over and over where they're just like, who is this guy? Astounded. Peter actually, not in Mark's rendition, but in Matthew's rendition, Peter actually asks if he could step out and walk on the water. <laughs> yeah, he's like, whoa, can I, can I come too? 
This is found in Matthew 14, 28. And Jesus invites him, and then he, he does kind of slip a little bit in his faith and everything. But, but we see, see, at least he stepped out, right? So the disciples were astounded. But sadly, it goes on. It says, because they had not understood about the loaves, instead their hearts were hardened. And then we see the disciples had hard hearts. This is bad. They didn't get it really until after the resurrection, okay? Well, guess what? It's after the resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's ascended up unto heaven. He's interceding for us, and he's sending us out, and he's filled us with his Holy Spirit to go do his work so we can step out on the water. We can walk on the water. He's calling us to live a life like this. So don't let this happen where your heart becomes hardened. And then the final one is the crowd. That whole next section, verses 53 through 56, they, they go and they take shore in Gennesaret, and the people immediately recognize them and come and bring all the sick, carrying them on mats, and if they could just touch his robe, it says he'd be, they'd be healed. And it says, and everyone who touched it was healed. This is the uniqueness of Jesus, that everywhere he went, he healed everybody instantaneously. And so they see this, and they, this is faith, right? So follow the crowd, just in this instance. Because as we know, the crowd later on becomes very fickle. That's what we see today, too, isn't it? But this instance, they believed. Hmm. So we're in the midst of a pandemic. If you don't think God is in charge of plagues, you should read the Bible. Now, People get concerned. Did he cause the plague? Did he allow the plague? Did he get caught off guard or whatever? He did not get caught off guard. He's in charge. And so he's sovereign over plagues and pandemics. And I believe that we are in the birth pains. And God will show us his glory if we look up rather than down in fear. Look up in expectation. Fear not, says the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So let's walk on the water, all right? Jesus is calling us out on the water. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what we're going to face in the future. But we know that if we fix our eyes on him, he will see us through, and we'll see his glory, and only great things will take place. In fact, when God sends you and he prays for you, nothing will happen to you until he is finished. Let me pray this benediction over you found in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God bless you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.